hallelujah. His grace and his mercy, hallelujah, hallelujah, is with us right now. Hallelujah. Even though, Lord, we don't always know how we're going to make it, yes. you're a way maker. Yes. And we love you, poor God. Continue to bless us, Lord, as we go in this service today. Amen. Because we want to give you our best. Hallelujah. Because you're worthy. Hallelujah. One day you're coming back after people that have made themselves ready. We want to be ready, Lord. Search us. Hallelujah. Through and through, Lord. Anything that's not like you, remove it. Let us know about it. That we can make the corrective changes, Lord. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise, Lord, as we continue in this service today that you will be magnified. These and all blessings we ask in the precious name of our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Healer, yeah. our everything. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Alpha and Omega. Watch it, watch it. Beginning and the end. And everything in between. Hallelujah. That's who you are. Amen. 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 I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me. Now let us go into the house of the Lord. You sing. I was glad when they said unto me. That's all you say. I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me, now let us go into the house of the Lord. Somebody help me. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me. There you go, mother. I was glad when they said unto me. <laughs> I was glad when they said unto me, now let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm going to give you one more time. I was glad when they said, anybody really glad? Anybody really glad? I was glad when they said unto me. I was glad when they said unto me. Now let us go into the house of the Lord. Oh, I came running when they said unto me. I came running. I came running when they said unto me. I came running when they said unto me. Now let us go into the house. That's it. That's it. I came. I came running. I came running when they said unto me. I came running when they said. I like it, I like it. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me. Come on, let me hear you. Let us. One more time. I was, I was glad. I was glad when they said. I was glad when they said 
said, you know this, and said, you know this, with oh, bless that wonderful name of, bless that wonderful name of, bless that wonderful name of, no other. Come on in here. Oh, bless that wonderful name of, I can't hear you. Bless that wonderful of no other. Oh, there's power in the name of power in the name of power in the name of no other. Oh, there is power in the name of power in the name of power in the name of no other. See if you know this one. Oh, I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier, I got my war clothes on, got my war clothes on, got my war clothes on, got my war clothes on. Did they say this, first lady? If I die, let me die. 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 I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier. I'm a soldier, I'm a soldier, put your hands together, come on, get your clap praise on, get your clap praise on, let me hear those tangerines. soldiers in the army of the Lord? Do we have any soldiers here who are on the battlefield for my Lord? And what did he say? I promised him that I 
will serve him until I die. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. Amen, amen. Elder Tyler, if you come on and read our seven confessions while we got it nice and hot in here. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We ask that you will remain standing as we read our seven confessions to total deliverance and blessings. Amen. Hallelujah. Repeat after me. That's right, Paul. Here we go. It is written, I am a child of God, joint heir and fellow citizen of the kingdom of God. It is written, I am well and in good health in my mind, body, soul, and spirit. It is written, I am prospering in the Lord as my soul prospers, enjoying the benefits of his riches in glory and those on this earth. It is written, I am walking in the blessings of the Lord this day. It is written, by faith, I have no needs, as he shall supply the desires of my heart. It is written, by faith, I have no cares, for I gave them all to him. It is written, the grace, mercy, peace, and love of God shall rule my mind, my heart, my life, my soul, my spirit, my emotions, and my desires this day, for I am truly, wonderfully, abundantly, magnificently, awesomely, stupendously blessed by the one who is and was and is to come, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. My El Shaddai, my Elohim, my Jehovah Rapha, my Jehovah Jireh, my Jehovah Tiskanu, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Put your hands together and bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For who he is. Who he is. Hallelujah. What's his name? What's his name? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While we're in the fire, fire is just a burning. Anybody got a song that he want to contribute? Come on, sing a song. Sing a song. Release it in the atmosphere. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody, anybody. Cynthia body. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. 
That's a good one. That's a good one. Since I laid my burden down, glory, glory. Come on, help mother. Hallelujah. Since I laid my burden down, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Since I laid burn him down. Glory. Hallelujah. Since I lay my every round goes higher, higher and higher. Since I let burdens down, every round goes higher and higher. Since I lay my burdens down, I'm going home to live with Jesus. Since I lay, come on, y'all, come on. I'm going home to. Uh-huh, I got it, I got it. I 
Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's pity, Pat. Give him praise. Hallelujah. I dare you to get hallelujah in your spirit, in your mind, in your heart. Tell him hallelujah. 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 You do know that's the highest praise you can give the Lord. Is what? 
Well, if you want to give him some praise this morning, somebody scream from your village, hallelujah! Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. He is Lord. Mm. He is Lord. Oh, yes, he is. He has risen from. Every knee must bow. Every knee, every knee must bow. Shall bow. Every tongue confess. Confess. How many know he's Lord this morning? He is Lord. Now say it again. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. If you believe that this morning, just lift your hands and say, He is Lord. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. He has risen, risen from the dead. Oh, yes, he is. Every Let's cry. He is Lord. One more time. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. I wonder if anybody feels that way this morning. I wonder if anybody feels that way this morning. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, oh, oh.
Where my worshipers at this morning? Where my worshipers at this morning? Hallelujah. 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 Yes, First Lady, yes, yes, yes. How great, how great. know that y'all know that how great thou art let's just lift that a couple times how great how great thou Thank you. 
Amen. Come on, put the hands together. Amen, First Lady. Bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. If you have not had an opportunity to be a blessing to the household faith this morning, here's your opportunity that we might be a blessing, that we might be kingdom builders. There's work, there's work, there's work that we need to do. There's work that can be done. If you'd like to be a blessing to the household of faith and you have not had an opportunity to do that, please come at this time. Our sacrificial giving basket is to my right, your left, and my tithe, no, sacrificial basket is to my left, your right. Tithes and offerings to my left, your, yeah, yeah, my right, your left, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Go be a blessing to the household of faith. <laughs> amen, amen. Everybody had an opportunity to be a blessing? Amen, amen. Stretch your right hand and blessing towards the basket for me. And re as we say this, Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be a blessing to this house. And we ask, oh God, that you're allowed to be pressed down, shaken down together, running over, oh God, that we might be a blessing to those and meet the needs of the ministry from that has been given. Now, God, for those who gave this morning, we ask, oh God, that you pour back into their bosoms, that as they come back another time, they have overflow, and that they'll be able to give even more at that hour. Blessing give unto you, oh God, is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, 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 God bless you. God bless you. We're going to receive at this time. <laughs> going to receive at this time. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Y'all be thinking about songs you want to sing. Be thinking about songs that you got that you ain't sung in a long time that you ain't heard in a long time. We're going to do. Amen. Amen. Oh. <laughs> Please receive my niece as she comes. Amen. At this time, Sister Jaleesa Mitchell with our sermonic selection. Amen. And the next voice you hear after her will be our pastor, Bishop Roy Jesse Lyson. Yes. Receive them in that order.
just to see you, to behold you as my King, for your glory, I will do anything just to see you, to behold you as my King. Lord, if I find favor, find favor in your sight, Lord, please, Lord, please, hear my heart's cry, I'm desperately waiting, just to be where you are. I'll cross the hottest deserts and travel miracles for your glory. I will do anything just to see you, to behold you.
magnify the Lord. Let's magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's celebrate the Lord. Let's celebrate the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Jalisa, for that. Hallelujah. Beautiful, beautiful. You can hear the power of God in her voice. Hallelujah. Transcends talent. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord so much for each and every one of you that has come out to the house of God, for those that are tuning in, uh, we salute you, we thank God for you, and we are praying for you. Uh, we are in transition in our uh, music department, so to speak, so we will get through this, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah, but we are thankful to God for those that have come to share their uh, gift and their anointing with us to uh, encourage us. It was uh, good to hear First Lady uh, right. belting out a tune over there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's just husband pride. There's nothing wrong with that. Hallelujah. 
just thank the Lord. I am um, excited about what God is doing and, and what is yet to come for not only this specific ministry, but for uh, the body of Christ in general. Uh, I believe that we are quickly approaching the day of the return of our Lord, and I'm excited about that. While um, my focus is on going back with the Lord, my understanding is, is that we still have a life to live. Hallelujah. We still have to deal with everything that life throws at us. And I want to, um, I'm, le I'm led of God to uh, share something with you. You know, we've been talking about identity and um, how it is truly foundational in the life of a believer, um, let alone just regular humanity. We all identify with or as something. Um, and it, it helps to define who we are. It helps to uh, govern our behavior, our uh, thought processes, um, the things that we say are acceptable and the things that we say are not acceptable are really based upon what we identify as. But there's another portion uh, of identity that, um, or, or there's another portion of humanity uh, of what makes up the human condition that causes us sometimes to not be able to live out truly what we identify as. And I want to give you this, um, for lack of a better word, title. I don't really, I, I'm starting to get away from titling sermons and because really they're all dealing with the identity. But as a place marker, as they would say, um, you can tag this one a guiltless identity. A guiltless identity. Guilt is a very traumatic emotional assault against the life, the soul, the psyche of all human beings. Let me tell you this story. There's an old legend, it's about three men, and these three men are carrying sacks. Each of these men had a sack that was on their front and a sack that was on their back. They were tied to each of these men's necks. Along comes an individual who does not carry a sack, but was curious about why these men were carrying sacks. So he asked the first man what was in the sacks that he was carrying. And the first man replies, in the sack on my back are all the good things that I have done, all the good relationships I have with family and friends, and everything that I would consider to be a blessing in my life. They're in the sack that's on my back. This way, these things are hidden from view. I can't see them, for they are behind me. In the front sack are all the bad things that have happened to me, in every bad relationship that I have experienced. And every now and again, I take time to open up the front sack, to take some of these things out of that sack, to examine them, to think about them, to ponder them. Because this man stopped so much to concentrate on all of the items in the front sack, 
he really did not make much progress in his journey. Well, the second man was asked about the sacks that he was carrying. And he replies, in the front sack are all the good things that I have done, all the good relationships that I have. I like to see them. So quite often, I take them out to show them off so that other people can see them as well. The sack on my back, that's where I keep all my mistakes. Now, I carry them with me all the time. Sure, it's heavy because a lot of mistakes I have made. They slow me down. But you know, for some reason, I seemingly cannot cut that sack off. The third man was asked about his sacks. And he answers, the sack in front is great. This is where I keep all the positive thoughts I have about people. All the blessings that I've experienced. All the great things that other people have done for me. The weight really isn't a problem. The sack really is like a sail of uh, uh, the sails on a ship. It keeps me moving forward. Now the sack that's on my back, you will notice, is empty. It's empty because there's nothing in it. There's nothing in it because I cut a hole in the bottom of the sack. Now, in this sack, I put every bad thing that I can think about myself, about others, and even the things that I hear that are not positive. They go in one end and out the other. So I find that I'm not carrying around any extra weight at all. The question that I have for you is what sacks are you carrying? If you look at people long enough, you will realize that most people will fall under one of these three um, details. They focus on failures and forget their victories and all their successes. Or they focus on their successes but can't let go of their failures and their mistakes. Or they focus on their blessings and put their failures behind them. These are the ones that will be quick to quote Paul. I press while forgetting those things that are behind me. Forward towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. They focus on these things. They know and they understand what forgiveness is all about. What it's about for them and what it's about in them for others. Many people in group one and in group two will typically outnumber the people that are in group three. And these people in the first two groups are found constantly struggling with guilt from their past. Guilt can be looked at as an anchor that keeps you secured to your past. It keeps you anchored. The purpose of an anchor is to prevent forward motion. Boats drop anchors 
so that the boats are less likely to move forward with the current. It keeps them stationary in the place where the anchor is dropped. Many of us have dropped our anchor in our past, but not our past successes, our past failures, and because of it, we see life through those failures, and it becomes difficult to see life through our identity in Christ. Failure to grapple with guilt is probably one of the main reasons why Christians struggle with this new identity that the Bible declares we have in Christ Jesus. We don't grow as we should into becoming who we should be based upon what the Word of God says because we're anchored to who we used to be. It becomes very difficult to see yourself differently when you've anchored yourself to something that in truth you are no longer. But when you see yourself as what you used to be, you can only become what you declare you are as what you identify yourself as, even regardless to what the Word of God says. The Bible talks about being a new creation. Then we wrote songs and said, I looked at my hands and they were new. I looked at my feet and they were too. And it sounds really good, but in truth, even singing it, most of us in our mind said, my hand looks exactly the same. My feet look exactly the same. That same bunion that was on there before Christ is the same bunion that's on there after Christ. And I'm still struggling while I'm walking. That same pain I felt is still there. I, I, I'm grappling with this newness or this new identity that I'm supposed to have, this new creation that I'm supposed to be because I'm so locked into who I used to be, not who I have become. And this becomes a reason why we cannot or we have trouble with living a life in service to God or just dedicating time to God. We're weighted down with a wet blanket of guilt. Now, I know that many, and I know this because this is what the Spirit of the Lord has impressed upon me, many that are uh, ministered to by this ministry, whether you're in this physical building or you are external, your faithful viewers that watch us in our live streams, God has showed me that many of you are weighted down with a tremendous amount of guilt. And it's not just, um, you know, heaviness, but it's almost a crushing weight. And it becomes even at times difficult for you to breathe because of the amount of weight that you've applied to yourself. Now the Bible talks about there being no more condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We don't have a reason to be or to feel 
guilty, but many of us struggle with guilt. We beat ourselves up with guilt. We behave based upon a standard of guilt. I want to talk to you today briefly, you know, briefly is about an hour, about guilt, about its purpose, about the effects of it, and then how you can deal with it once you've been forgiven so that you can know what is the joy of God's forgiveness, what is the joy that you have in serving Him, and the joy of walking in the full release of a new identity. I won't hold you for an hour. No promises, though. The first area that I want to touch upon, and this, this, I'm just warning you now, this isn't a preachy sermon. This is a teachy sermon. Okay? Uh, it's important that you, that you grab this because this, this weight, this anchor needs to be cut. You know, a ship can do two things with an anchor. They can reel it back up, which oftentimes is what we do, until we need to lock ourselves back down. We reel up our anchor, we can move a little bit, we drop the anchor so we stop moving. Or a ship can cut the anchor off. And in most cases, when the ship's got to move quickly to get away from something, they cut the anchor. Because they cannot take the time to reel it in. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, cut your anchor. The first thing I want to talk about is the, the concept of guilt. So this word guilt comes from a uh, Anglo-Saxon root word, guilt, G-Y-L-T, which means to pay. So then guilt becomes the price we pay for something, whether it, in most cases um, the guilt is a, a negative connotation, so it is payment for disobedience, sin, or some sort of rebellion. Now if you go to Webster's Dictionary, you will find that uh, Webster defines guilt as the fact of having committed a breach of conduct especially violating law and involving a penalty. They call it guilty conduct. The state of one who has committed an offense, especially consciously, feelings of culpability, especially for imagined offenses, or from a sense of inadequacy. Now here's the different aspect. Many of us are dealing with guilt for not being what we deem adequate for any given situation, circumstance, or even relationships. I'm inadequate as a husband, and then I feel guilty because I cannot reach that bar that in most cases we have set not even the other person in that relationship has set for us. But this is what Webster says, a sense of inadequacy, a feeling of culpability for an offense. And when we feel like we are inadequate, we cause our inadequacy to become an offense 
towards the person to whom we feel we are inadequate against. Now, there are several types of guilt. There's legal guilt. This comes from breaking the law. And you're, you're declared uh, guilty in a court of law. The court or the authority has determined that you have violated whatever uh, policy or rule or is in place. That's legal guilt. Now, we, we understand legal guilt. Legal guilt is easy to understand. Social guilt is not so easy to understand. Because social guilt changes as society changes. Social guilt is, the, is, is experienced when some unwritten social law or social expectation of any given group of people or society is violated or broken or even now just simply not agreed with. In many cultures, it can also be called breaking the code between friends. Guys talk about this all the time, the bro code. You know, if, if, if I'm going out with somebody and we break up, all my fellas can't go out with her because that would be a violation of the bro code. Nowadays... That, that, that don't mean nothing. But when I was coming up, that's kind of the way it was. You didn't mess with your friend's girlfriend even when they weren't your friend's girlfriend anymore. You, you just let it alone. You stayed away. And if you had feelings, you went the other direction. Because that was socially not acceptable. Now, as I said, society, social norms change, which then changes the expected behavior which introduces new guilt all the time in society. You don't even have to do what society says you shouldn't do to be considered socially guilty. You can just simply not agree. Because now disagreement is determined to be bias or hate. When in fact, it could just simply be, I don't agree with that ideology or that pattern of behavior or that specific um, thought process. I think differently. Because I think differently does not mean I hate you. It does not mean that I even hate what it is you do. It just simply means that I won't do what you say is okay to do because I don't think it's good to do. But society now will, call, will accuse you of being socially guilty of violating the social norm. Then there's personal guilt. This guilt uh, sits on the surface when a person breaks some personal standard that they have for themselves or they resist the urging of their conscience or subconscious. A classic example of this is found in First and Second Samuel in the life of David. Now I'm going to read this for you, First Samuel 24 and 5. It says, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Paul's skirt. Now this is talking about the time that David went into the cave. David is being persecuted. He's being chased after by Saul and his men. Saul wants to kill him. 
David goes in, had the opportunity to kill Saul. But David wasn't built that way, as they say. You see, David had a certain expectation about himself as connected to the anointed. Now, we understand it doesn't matter how Saul behaved. Saul was the anointed man of God for the kingdom of Israel. He was anointed. He, they didn't just come along and say, hey, you're king. And he said, woo, and then everything was happy, go lucky after that. No, they came and they anointed him. They poured oil on him. They prayed over his life. This was something that was instituted and connected to the authority of God. And as such, David sees him as the anointed of God. And for David, it was an offense of great degree to touch God's anointed, even their clothing. This, this is how serious a matter this was for David. David, did he, he felt so much uh, respect for Saul because he's the anointed man of God that even the clothes Saul wore, David felt bad about cutting even though Saul was unjustly persecuting him. He just simply believed it was wrong to touch the Lord's anointed. That is not the social norm today. 2 Samuel 24 and 10 says this, And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. What did God tell David not to do? What did, David asked, he was wondering, how big are we? How much we got? How many folk are we? And what did the Lord tell him? He said, don't count. What did David do? What do most of us do when someone tells us, don't do it? Like, psychology 101 would be more of a, 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 whatever people tell you not to do, that's what you do, so tell people really to do what you don't want them to do, and they will do the opposite anyway, so you end up getting what you want. Psychology 101. Just a thought, just throwing that out there, trying to help you out. But David's not the only one that dealt with guilt. We look at John. John speaks about the guilt of our heart condemning us. 1 John 3, 19 and 20. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. We too often beat ourselves up. Jim Carrey movie. Forget the name of it. He, liar. He, he's in the bathroom beating himself up. And they came in and looked at him and asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm kicking my behind. Because that's what many of us do. And really, when you start beating yourself up, that's the image you ought to put in your, in, in your head. Jim Carrey in the bathroom, in a mirror, beating himself up. Because really, as silly as that looks is really how silly it is because you are condemning yourself for something that God has released you from. You are beating yourself up for something 
for which God has already dealt with. You have actually brought double jeopardy into play when double jeopardy is not allowed. There's a law. You cannot be charged twice for the exact same crime. Once the crime has been charged and adjudicated, that's it. If you go to court, you committed a crime, you go to court, and you beat it. They don't get a do-over. If they don't have all the evidence enough to convict you the first time, they cannot come a second time for that exact same offense. And they may come up with some other stuff, but they cannot come back for that offense to charge you a second time. Oh, we didn't know this at the time. Well, so sorry. But that's what we do with ourselves all the time. God says, I've forgiven you. In essence, I have released you from condemnation or guilt. I've released you from payment for the offense. Yet we go back, and because we know we cannot pay, there's not enough, we don't have the resources to repay this debt that we have now reapplied to our life, we then condemn ourselves and live in a state of guilt. Beating ourselves up daily and then now seeing life through condemnation rather than seeing life through the freedom of our forgiveness. Some people are going to spend their entire lives being driven by guilt from uh, their past failures. I want whoever, and truthfully, whoever has never had a failure or made a mistake or said something they wish they could have taken back, did something they wish they could have undone in their past, if you've never had that experience, raise your hand. Come on. You can be honest. So you mean to tell me that All of us got skeletons in our closet. See, that's why I never cleaned my closet when I was young, because I kept kicking all the dirt in there, and I did not want to go in there after that. So I would pay my sisters to do it, and then after I grew a little older, I talked my girlfriend, now wife, into doing it. I'm trying to be honest with you. The problem is is that too many of us live haunted by regret and shame, and then we try to hide it by putting the superficial smile on our face while carrying or being haunted by the very thing God has freed us from. We carry this with us. And even though it's right there sitting on our shoulder, like some of those commercials uh, about the, uh, the bowel movement, uh, you got that, I forget the name of the, the sickness, but they've got that bowel movement, and you have the person, and then they, you have another picture of that person, and the, they're wanting to do one thing, but the bowel movement person tells them, you can't do that because um, we got to go to the bathroom. That, that's us. In many cases, we, we can't live in the freedom because, you know, that other us is like, uh, nah, you, know, you know what you did. Do I need to remind you? Here, let, let me show you the movie. We're all really producers, we, and we're very good producers of movies. 
we play things back in our minds all the time. Things that we should let go of because the power of forgiveness is the putting away of the knowledge of such things. What does the Bible say about God? God, when he forgives us, the Bible says he remembers no more. You see, we bury. We put it away until it becomes important for us to either use to justify some behavior or use to prevent us from doing something else. But forgiveness, and when you do this, that's a red flag. You have not forgiven yourself. Therefore, you have not enjoyed the full freedom of your identity in Christ. Okay? You've locked yourself into something that's in your past, amen, and it's, it's, it's judging and governing your behavior, so you've locked yourself to it because you have not done what God has done, which is forgive you of it, which is putting out of memory. Putting out of memory. You cannot walk fully in your new identity in Christ if you will not put out of your memory who you were. Or the short way is forgive yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, forgive yourself. But too often we find ourselves haunted by regrets and shame. And these things then uh, begin to manipulate our memories, which causes our past to control our future. Guilt manipulated memories change your destination. Somebody ought to Instagram that. Guilt guided emotions will change your destination. When you're seeing life and being controlled or manipulated of the, by the memories of who you used to be, you cannot become who God intends you to be in your future. The key to becoming who God declares you to be is the wiping clean of the slate of who you used to be. We did um, a science experiment many, many years ago, and there was a, a glass of water, and then in the, the water, they poured something to change the way the water looked, and no matter how much of the changing agent they poured into it, once the cup is full, the cup is full. So if you cannot pour more into the cup than what the cup can hold, if you want to change what's in the cup, you have to empty the cup. You see, too many of us are trying to cover what's already there when God said, I've cleaned you out. What does the Bible say about those that were once oppressed by demonic spirits that had been cast out? The Bible declares that when the spirit returned, in too many cases, it found the place what? What does the Bible say? Swept and clean. 
In other words, when it was expelled, the body was emptied so that something new could enter. The problem is, is that between the sweeping and cleaning and the return of the former resident, nobody was allowed to come in. Now, you have the key to your residence. You let in who you want. So in that case, that person did not allow the Holy Spirit to come in. But the point that's being made is it wasn't that the Spirit hung out there. The Spirit was expelled. And the Bible specifically states swept and clean. In other words, it was emptied and washed of all the things that connected that space to what used to be there so that something new could be planted there. It becomes very difficult to grow when you sow seed in soil that has not been cultivated or turned. Now, sometimes you will get some growth. But in most cases, even that growth is stunted and does not produce fully what it could have. Now, we are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners of our past. The person that you see standing before you today is because of all the experiences of the former things in my life but I'm not imprisoned by them. I've been freed from them. And my story is God's glory. Thank you very much, First Lady. Y'all to Instagram that. My story is God's glory. But we are products of our past, but you do not have to be a prisoner of your past. You see, it's the business of God to rebuild your life. And to rebuild your life, you have two choices. I like God's choice. But too often, we do it differently. And we typically do things differently because it cuts corners, it saves time, it's cheaper. Let's be honest. I'll give you an example. My, my deck at home, the steps were all messed up. And it's just from years of weather and, you know, not being taken care of and, you know, what have you. Till one day, uh, a gutter person was looking at the gutters in our house and walked down our steps and there went one of the steps. And thank God, the angels were working that day. They didn't take a vacation day and they bared him up lest he fall and sue me. But the step gave away. So I decided it's probably a good idea to fix that. Now watch this. I'm, 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 I'm being painfully honest here. The knowledge that that step was jacked up was not new news. That step has been jacked up for a while. But what did we do? We walked around the weak part. 
And every once in a while when we were in a hurry, we would step on it not thinking, and we, you know, you do it because it was weak. And you know, you feel that, that, that resistance goes, and you get that sensation like I'm getting ready to fall. And there have been times when I just finished grilling something, and I'm running up the steps with a tray of meat, and I hit that weak point, and bam, there goes the meat. I never told First Lady. I'm confessing now, but I'm not guilty. I'm free of guilt from it, because you, you survived. But some of those pieces hit, hit the upper step. Simply because we just didn't take time to fix it. So, my wife and I, we decided it would probably be a good idea to fix the step now because really half of it was gone. So we went out and, and did what was necessary to repair the step. But even in the repairing of the step, we begin to notice other things that should probably be taken care of. So we've made our plans to take care of those things. But too often, this is kind of the way we deal with things. We, we, we go around stuff when we're thinking, and then when we're not thinking, and we stumble on what we already know is there, we, we, we pretend like that didn't happen. But the process of God's rebuilding is a complete tearing down and removal of what's there. Now, I'm a big HGTV, well, not big, I'm, I'm sort of big. I've noticed, and, I, and, I, and my wife and I talk about this, that really when you look at the decorating aspect of the things that they do, they're pretty much all the same. Everything's white or very bland. Very rarely do you really see color or whatever, and it's basically because they're really building a uh, canvas for somebody else to come along and decorate later who purchases the house or whatever. But, you know, I, 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 I watch this all the time, um, or when I have time, and there's a show where uh, the builder and the, the designer are married, and I can't think of their names, but they were building their dream house. So they did not what they normally do, which was take pre-existing houses and um, rehab them. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you're not a rehab. You're a new build. You're not a rehab. You're a new build. Now what this family typically do, they, they, they take a, re, a, a house that's messed up, they find the potential of what it could be, and they build it up from there. And oftentimes it's based upon a budget, which means the budget determines the quality of the rehabilitation. 
of that particular piece of property. But when it came to theirs, they bought a piece of land. There was nothing on the land. So they could build from scratch what they wanted. And even during the building process, they noticed that there were some mistakes in the design of how things looked together. Some lines were off. So they made some adjustments to their budget so that they could redo some work as they were building. And then they ultimately ended up with, um, you know, what they deemed their dream house. You see, we're, we're not rehabbed, we're new builds, but we're new builds who are trying to live like a rehab. Rehabs are dependent upon a budget. They're dependent upon a budget. Every HGTV show I've watched, one of the very first questions at the beginning of the episode is, how much can I spend? And then oftentimes, what do they do? Go back in the middle of the show and they say, well, we ran into this problem. This is going to really hurt the budget. Can you give us some more? But a new build is different. You see, a new build, there's a cost for the new build, period. That cost doesn't change. Because they've already determined what's necessary to build that house the way you want it before they ever started building it. Amen? So then you agree to pay that amount of money for that new build. Now you can go into the design centers and you can change their basic plan to their advanced plan and uh, you know, add all these additives, okay? But before they start building, they know that this is what it's gonna cost this is how much time it's going to take. This is what it's going to look like. God already knew what it was going to cost to build you. Now, some of you, you're, you're intricate. You're, you're very detailed. You're, you're very unique. So when God went into the design center to discuss your new build, he took all of that into account. And then he tallied up the cost. And then he paid it. He paid it so that you could be built. You see, we look at the, at the word new creation, but we keep seeing recreation. I keep seeing myself reaming. What, is, what does the world tell you that they're doing? Or, or many in the world tell you that they like, to, they like to remake themselves. The problem is, is the foundation upon which they're building. It doesn't matter how many times you remake yourself. If the foundation is jacked up, no matter what you build on it, it's going to eventually fall down. That's why so many people are constantly remaking themselves. God did not remake you 
He made you new. He didn't remake you. He made you new. His perspective of building the lives of his people is based upon the foundation of a new start through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. The slate is clean. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm clean. I love this commercial. I'm clean. My hiney's clean. I'm charming clean. That's what I feel like every once in a while when I'm thinking about or my mind tries to go back to stuff that it shouldn't even remember. I remember and remind myself, I'm clean. I'm Jesus clean. My hiney's clean. How long I've been up here? Let me move on. Then there's theological guilt. And this guilt is developed from violating or breaking God's law. Now, I want you to understand something that Christianity has debated and argued throughout history. But the Bible makes it clear that all men are guilty before God because of their sin. Now, this is the start. No one escapes sin we are we have all sinned we've all been formed in iniquity Romans 3 and 10 says as it is written there is none righteous no not one 3 and 23 Romans 3 and 23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God Romans 5 and 12 Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, some people will make a claim that they don't feel guilty. They don't acknowledge God or the authority of God over their life. And this really makes no sense, and it makes no difference, because we are all still guilty before God, no matter what you believe, or what you claim. This is our birthing point. Only Adam and Eve were birthed, in a sense, in righteousness or in perfection. Only Adam and Eve. They were formed of God, first Adam from the ground, formed and created in God's perfection as he exemplified the image of God. The image of God was impressed upon him. The breath of God was in him. And then from him, from that perfection, did God create female or create the woman which he brought to Adam and 
asked Adam what she should be called, and he said, whoa, man. And God said, that sounds like a good name. John 3 and 18 says this, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The only separation between who we were and who we are is our belief. You're not remade from who you were to who you are. Your belief cuts off who you were to who you are. Your belief in Jesus is a line of delineation that separates you from that which has been expelled out of your life to that which has been implanted in your life. Once you acknowledge belief, belief in Jesus, what, so what am I saying? The acceptance that Jesus exists? No, it's belief. When you say belief in Jesus, you're saying you believe in what he has done for you or what has been foretold or what has been purported that Jesus or the life of Jesus has accomplished for your life. So when you say, I believe in Jesus, you're saying, I believe in his finished work. It's not the simple belief that Jesus exists because the devil knows Jesus exists. Even atheists who argue there is no God will tell you Jesus exists. There is empirical evidence to suggest that Jesus existed. It's not that he existed it's what he has accomplished in his existence. So when I believe in him, I believe in that finished work. And when I believe in that finished work, I am changed from who I was to who I am. I am made new from what I was to what I am. My identity changed from what I was identified as before to what I am identified as now. Because I believe, I accept and understand wholeheartedly that prior to the knowledge of Christ, I was a sinner. And I did what sinners do. But after the knowledge of Christ, I was no longer a sinner. Even, now this is what frustrates people, even when I've made mistakes after my knowledge of him. I didn't become a sinner again. Because I've been changed. It's important we begin to understand this. 
Now, there are some causes for guilt that I will get into next week. Teach you what these causes are so that you can properly defend against them. The Bible declares that we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Okay? In other words, we, we understand his methods. One of the greatest methods of the devil to keep you stuck is guilt. You see, the devil knows that he cannot make you do anything. He doesn't have the power or the authority to make you do something. So he has to trick you into doing it yourself. So everything the enemy does is based upon deception to cause you to see something that is not right or that is not truly there so that you respond to what's not there in the manner in which he wants you to. Because he can't make you. But he'll try to trick you into doing it yourself because you have the authority to trip yourself up. You notice when the, the devil came to Eve, he didn't pull the fruit from the tree. All he did was deceive her because he couldn't make her eat it. He had to make her want to eat it. How many of you have tried to make your children, when they were younger, eat something? And what do you typically do? You take the spoon, you stick it in the slop, and you open their mouth, and you stick it in there, and then you close their mouth and say, you're going to swallow this food. Now, I know that today that's probably seen as child abuse, but that's the way sometimes, you, you know, especially when it came to medicine. You made, you made them do it. You didn't spend no time trying to trick nobody into doing nothing. You made them do it. The devil doesn't have the ability to do that because of who you are. He can't make you do it. Eve wasn't given the fruit. She picked the fruit herself and ate it. She ate it. The devil didn't open her mouth, shove the fruit in, and make her jaws go up and down. Because he can't do that. It's important we understand what his devices are, his methods are, so that you can properly defend yourself against the onslaught that he brings. Because the onslaught of the enemy has one vital key. Now, watch, now I'm going to leave you with this. The vital key to the success of the enemy's plan over your life is nothing external. It's nothing the enemy brings at you. It's not even the people he may use to come against you. The, the key, thank you Holy Ghost, the key to the victory of the enemy over your life is you. That is the key. 
His plan cannot be successful if you remove one element from the equation and the element that will break the whole thing down is you. Take yourself out. This is why you're not remade, but you are new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Remove yourself from the equation. Hallelujah. As my wife would say, don't let what's happening change who you are. You do that by removing yourself. You take yourself out of the equation. The enemy can't work successfully if you don't play the game. Hallelujah. Next week we're gonna we're gonna break down the causes, why it is we deal with it, and the, and if time permits, we'll either talk about how to overcome it, or we'll push that to the, the following week. But you can be successful in your new identity in Christ when you begin to understand what is causing you to dimly see that very identity. And we're going to continue talking about these things. God bless you. Thank you so much.